why should you pay attention to cultural differences? Well, there are many reasons. For one, research has shown that 74% of Dutch companies doing business in the US experienced cultural differences. In fact, cultural misunderstandings are one of the main reasons why European startups fail in their US market expansion. Welcome to the Dutch American Connection, the podcast for Dutch entrepreneurs, expats, and anyone who does business in the USA. In this podcast, I interview experts in various aspects of doing business in America, as well as Dutch entrepreneurs who work with Americans. We discuss their experiences and expertise through the lens of cultural differences. I am your host, Annette van der Velds. I'm an intercultural coach and trainer and the founder of the Dutch American Connection. So you've seen and heard me talk about cultural differences, but what exactly are cultural differences? And why is it so important to pay attention to cultural differences? In this podcast, I will explain. The What and Why of Intercultural Communication, Episode 2. What is intercultural communication? Well, there are many definitions of intercultural communication out there. For this podcast episode, let's define culture as how different groups of people perceive and interpret the world around them. This, in turn, influences how they communicate, relate to each other, and what they value. So, intercultural communication is all about communicating across different cultures. Of course, it's not possible to say that all people in one culture, and thus in one country, are all the same way. Intercultural communication is about generalizations, meant to start a conversation. In this podcast, I will compare Dutch and American cultural tendencies. This is not to say that all Dutch are a certain way and all Americans behave a specific way. These are generalizations meant to start a conversation. They're not stereotypes. Another thing to keep in mind is that culture is not static. Cultural preferences change as countries change due to major events, such as natural disasters, war, regime changes, just to name a few. Globalization is also changing national cultures. When Geert Hofstede, one of the founding fathers of intercultural research, when he did his research over 50 years ago, international travel was only for a small group of society. So most people were less exposed to new ideas, new ways of looking at the world. But nowadays, with travel accessible to many, people are able to experience other cultures and discover new ideas and slowly incorporate these different, different, differing attitudes and customs. Just look at how many English words have become part of the Dutch language. Of course, the internet helps spread new ideas as well. So, while national cultures won't change overnight, there clearly are certain cultural dimensions which are not static. Back to intercultural communication. Communication between people from different cultures. So, what works in one culture does not necessarily work in another culture. In fact, it may be offensive or embarrassing. And that is exactly where I help. 
I help Dutch companies understand the American way of doing business and the American business culture to make their American expansion successful and profitable and build successful partnerships with employees, customers, and their suppliers. So understanding these differences is important, but leveraging these differences, so using these differences to your advantage, is one of the keys to a successful U.S. expansion. I recently worked with a Dutch manager who was sent to the U.S. office because the relationship between the American office and the Dutch headquarters was tense. One of the first things he told his American staff was that his door was always open and they should not hesitate to come and talk to him with suggestions, ideas, and feedback. Nothing happened. We looked at why this might be happening. You see, Americans are employed at will. This means that they can lose their job at any time. So, Americans tend to be much more careful with feedback, suggestions, and criticisms because of that. The Dutch manager and I looked at ways to solicit feedback from employees. Instead of asking for feedback directly, he approached individual employees, praised them for their expertise, and asked indirect questions such as, How would you do this? How would you handle this? And guess what? He received a lot of helpful information and is starting to repair the relationship between the U.S. and the Dutch office. Let's delve into what intercultural communication is later after we discuss why intercultural communication is so important. Well, lots of research has been done on different cultures, specifically TAPS, Transatlantic Business Services. They recently came out with their second DIFTIS report. DIFTIS stands for Dutch Ventures in the U.S. You'll find a link to the report in the show notes on my website, dutchamericanconnection.com slash podcast. In this report, 74% of Dutch companies interviewed reported experiencing cultural differences while doing business in the U.S. In fact, cultural misunderstandings are one of the main reasons why European startups fail in their U.S. market expansion. The data suggests that cultural differences are the second biggest challenge. Recruitment is the biggest challenge. However, these cultural differences are hugely underestimated when Dutch entrepreneurs first expand into the U.S. market. Why are they underestimated? Well, Dutch and American culture are very similar. Many people have been on vacation to the U.S. and have not had any issues with the American culture. However, when doing business and when living in the U.S., it becomes much more obvious that there are minor differences which have a huge impact. Many Dutch companies that left the American market stated that underestimating cultural differences was a major factor in their decision to exit the U.S. market. So, it's extremely important that Dutch companies expanding to the U.S. become aware of these differences and adapt to these differences and leverage them. Another reason to pay attention to cultural differences is that they are the key to team synergy in global teams. In 2015, McKinsey came out with a report on why diversity is so important. You'll find a link to the report in the show notes on my website, dutchamericanconnection.com podcast. What McKinsey found was that companies in the top quarter for racial and ethnic diversity were 35% more likely to have financial returns above their respective national industries. 35% 
were more likely to have financial returns above their respective national medians. I repeated it because, wow, that is a huge number. But in order to leverage these differences, multicultural teams have to be well-functioning teams. This means that the team has psychological safety. Everyone feels value and gets to contribute in their own way. So just combining American and Dutch employees in one team isn't going to get you the team synergy that we've come to expect from diverse teams. Everyone has to be included and given a chance to participate and to be heard. And that can be tricky when different cultures, different ways of communicating, different ways of making decisions, different ways of managing are all combined in one team and expected to work together. Not everyone may feel comfortable to participate. And that is why it's so important to understand how different cultures communicate and how to leverage these differences to make sure that every team member can contribute. Leveraging these intercultural differences will result in more innovative and more profitable teams and partnerships. Let's go back to what intercultural communication is. Many have researched intercultural communication, with Geert Hofstede being one of the first. Currently, Aaron Meyer's book, The Culture Map, is a popular, easy and interesting read about inter intercultural communication. I'll put a link to Aaron Meyer's website in the show notes. Anyway, these researchers have come up with dimensions to compare national cultures. So let's talk about a few dimensions. When it comes to communicating, there is direct or low context communication on one side and indirect or high context communication on the other side of the dimension. According to the research, Americans are one of the most direct cultures. They tend to say what they mean and they mean what they say and they provide detailed explanations. So if you work for an American manager, don't be surprised to get detailed instructions on what is expected of you. It's no surprise that Americans are very direct communicators. The country is a country of immigrants, where everyone has their own way of communicating, whether it is direct or low-context communication, where every word has one single meaning, or indirect or high-context communication, where words have different meanings depending on the situation, the tone used, and other factors. The best way to communicate across all these different ways of communicating is by being very direct and making it clear what you mean. The Dutch are also relatively direct communicators, according to the research, but not as much as the Americans. Oh, and to my American listeners who work with the Dutch, I can hear you think, but the Dutch are so direct. Yep, that's true. But Dutch directness is less direct in the sense of spelling out what and how you want things. It's more of a bluntness. The Dutch tend to give their opinions and feedback much more directly than Americans. And this leads me to a dimension that Aaron Meyer describes as evaluating, how negative feedback is given. For this dimension, the Dutch rank as the most direct. Americans tend to be much more careful to maintain the relationship and give negative feedback in a much more indirect and positive way. They may use words such as, well, that's interesting, to indicate that they do not like an idea, which the Dutch might, of course, take to mean that it is really interesting. So to my Dutch listeners, when an American uses words as interesting or let's talk about that another time, this is often code word for 
nah, I don't like it. Another indirect way of giving feedback is the feedback sandwich. Americans tend to give three positives for one negative, with the negative being the main message. Being Dutch and being used to getting negative feedback without it being packaged between three positive feedbacks or it being hidden in words like interesting, the negative feedback may be completely lost on a Dutch person after hearing three positive things. So you can see how the same conversation can have completely different meanings to a Dutch person than it has to an American. Another dimension on which the Dutch and Americans differ is decision making. The Dutch tend to prefer making decisions by consensus. This usually means long meetings where everyone gets a say and discussions appear to go on forever. But once a decision is made, everyone is on board and knows what to do. If new information were to come up, it will be harder to change what was decided because the team would have to go through the whole consensus building process again. In contrast, American meetings tend to be much shorter compared to Dutch meetings. The boss gathers information and makes a decision. As soon as new information comes up, well, the boss can change whatever was just decided. So you can see how the Americans dread Dutch seemingly endless meetings, while the Dutch may feel left out in the American decision process. I recently worked with a Dutch manager in New York. She was very frustrated because her team just wasn't doing what she asked them to do. Having worked with her, we discovered that her Dutch way of telling employees what she expected without giving them more details seemed to leave her employees unsure of what to do. The whole consensus building process seemed to confuse them as well. She then tried to tell, tell her employees exactly what she expected in more details than what she would have done back in the Netherlands. She felt very uncomfortable at first. But when her team gave her the results she asked for, she quickly realized that her Dutch way of communication and Dutch way of looking for consensus wasn't going to work in the United States, and that her employees actually expected her to give detailed instructions. My favorite dimension is by Geert Hofstede. While he calls the dimension masculinity versus femininity, I prefer to use the terms competitive versus nurturing. A masculine or competitive culture is a culture where people are motivated by competition, achievement, money, and success. The U.S. ranks highly masculine or competitive, meaning to, they tend to value competition and making money. The heroes are the winners. Kids learn from a very early age that winning is important. Many American schools have end-of-year award ceremonies, where awards are given for the best in a range of categories, best in math, best in sport, etc. A sign that the winners are the heroes. I live in the U.S. and my children go to American public schools. And every year, the local high school hosts an elaborate award ceremony with awards for the best in what seems to me like a million different categories. Lately, however, I am noticing that a few categories have been added to the award ceremony. These awards include prizes for most improved, most effort, and similar categories. A sign that culture is not static and that perhaps the U.S. may be slowly creeping towards the nurturing side of the dimension. Still, compared to the Dutch, which is what this podcast is all about, Americans tend to fall more on the masculine or competitive side of Hofstede's dimension than the Dutch. 
The Dutch rank as feminine or nurturing in Hofstede's research. In these nurturing or feminine societies, quality of life are highly valued and is a sign of success. Furthermore, standing out from the crowd is not admirable. An example of this difference between masculine and feminine society is loyalty. Many Dutch companies in the US complain about employees' lack of loyalty. They change jobs so often. Compared to the Dutch employees, American employees tend to be more motivated by money, more than by loyalty or by other incentives such as personal development, part-time work, etc. All these are important factors, but if a competitor comes along and offers more money, there is a good chance that the employee will join the competitor, especially in this current market of labor shortage. A salesperson who I recently coached is about to start his third job in five years. This job offers more money than his current job, so he did not have to think twice about leaving his current job. He thought it was strange, a strange question when I asked him if money was the only motivator to change jobs. He thought it was obvious that when the same job with more money comes along, you take the higher paying job. When I asked him what he would do with the extra money, he told me he would live more comfortably, perhaps buy a new car. Another factor was the cost of college. He told me he has two children in college and his youngest will start college in two years. With the cost of American colleges so high, he could use the extra money and make sure his kids would graduate with less debt, which was his main motivation to change jobs. This leads me to another angle of studying the masculine versus feminine dimension. The Dutch government provides more of a social safety net and has, more, has a more nurturing role. For example, studies after high school are attainable for everyone. Colleges are public and are affordable for most. The government provides stipends for those who are not able to pay for college. The American government has a different role. It's much less focused on taking care of the individual citizen. Americans are expected to take care of themselves, meaning they have to place much more focus on making money, since there's no one who will help them. So, you can see how these hidden cultural differences can have a huge impact on Dutch companies expanding to the US. Americans tend to communicate much more directly than the Dutch, provide negative feedback in a more positive way, and have a different way of making decisions. And they tend to be motivated by competition and money. While the Dutch tend to place a higher value on liking what you do, making decisions by consensus, and give negative feedback in a very direct manner. If you'd like to know more about these differences in doing business, you can download my culture guide, which dives deeper into what to look for when, business, when doing business in the US. You'll find a link to the culture guide on my homepage, DutchAmericanConnection.com. And if you'd like to learn how your company can leverage these differences, or how to resolve the friction between your American and Dutch team, or perhaps how to do business in the US, send me an email. You can find my contact details on my website, DutchAmericanConnection.com. And don't forget to check out my show notes, where you'll find links and re to the reports and books which I mentioned in this podcast. You can find the show notes at DutchAmericanConnection.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for my next podcast, where I interview a Dutch CEO who expanded the U.S. office and we'll talk about his lessons learned about working in the U.S. He's a popular keynote speaker when it comes to intercultural management and has plenty of advice to share. So, 
see you in two weeks.